and they found that people who performed up to an hour a day of moderate, which is like brisk walking, to vigorous, which is maybe like running or CrossFit or something like that, they had a 74% lower risk of developing type 2 diabetes compared to those people who were more sedentary. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast on social media, please head over to SolvingType2Diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. Well, I hope you are having a really great week. Before I talk about my week too much, I would like to ask a favor. If you're a regular listener, you know I ask this favor all the time, but it's important. Would you please share this episode with someone that you care about? It could be someone that you know who has type 2 diabetes, or maybe they care for someone who has type 2 diabetes. But if you could share this episode this week, it would really help me a lot, and I would appreciate it. So, for my week in review, well, there's not going to be any rants this week. I think last week, if you didn't listen to last week's, you should go back and listen to it. Because it was, I must say, quite the rant that I let loose with last week. But, you know, sometimes I guess that's just what's needed. But this week, no rants. It's a normal week. I'm back at home this week, coming back from Walt Disney World. And I've been able to enjoy my regular meals, getting in the meats and the veg. We had put some meatloaf in the freezer before we went down there. And so I've been enjoying some of that, some chicken, just the regular type of things that I like to eat. Of course, my coffee every morning with heavy cream. I actually think about that when I'm going to bed. Ah, only nine hours from now I get to have my coffee. I really do enjoy that. But I've been getting out on my trail, the local trail, my Lebanon Valley Rail Trail, and I've been enjoying some long walks, which have been great this week. We've had a couple days of heavy rain, so a couple days I didn't get out there, but mostly I've been out there on the trail in the afternoon it's been anywhere from the low 70s to the mid 80s this week a lot of variable weather but i have enjoyed it so it's been a good week for me here we're going to be headed up to the poconos tomorrow it's only an hour and a half drive north of here and my family has a cabin up there the greater extended family i should say and we actually helped to build that about, it's almost 40 years, no, actually it's 35 years ago, because it was a period of time between when my wife and I were engaged and when we were married, and last Sunday was our 35th wedding anniversary. So it was 35 years ago that we helped my wife's dad and family build that cabin, and it uses a, a system called Lincoln Logs. It's actually a Lincoln Log cabin. It's a kit And it's nice. Three bedrooms, one bathroom, nice big living area, kitchen, everything. And we really enjoy going up there for family trips. So this is going to be three of my daughters and two grandchildren. I think only two. And my wife and I, and we're going to have a good time up there. We're celebrating 
birthdays of two of our grandsons. One is turning one and one is turning four. And we're going to have fun with that. Don't tell him, but the four-year-old is getting a bike. So don't tell him that. Actually, by the time this comes out, he will have just received the bike. So don't worry about it. Go ahead and tell him if you want. For my numbers this week, it's been a good week. I'm back to tracking my numbers. If you listened to last week, you know why I did not track my numbers for a week. But luckily, that only lasted for a week. And so for my rings, I have managed to close my Apple Watch Fitness Rings five out of seven days, which is great. My seven-day average glucose is 128. And if you've been listening, you know that 128 is much higher than I've been averaging. Well, I use the words much higher. It's about, I'm going to say, 20 points higher. I think my average was in the low 100s, you know, 105, 108 here recently. But now, if you listened last week, you'll know that I have stopped taking Farsiga. was not my choice. My doctor literally insisted on it. I'm not going to get into that. I fully talked about that last week, so go back and listen if you, if you want to hear all about that. So anyway, it's now, I'm going to say, almost three weeks without the Farsiga. So having a seven-day average glucose reading of 128, which is just creeping into the prediabetes range, is higher than I'm used to for sure. And I don't know how to feel about this. I knew my blood sugar would go up when I stopped taking the Farsiga because I have experimented with that in the past. And usually after my little experiment of a week, I went right back on it. But I don't have any, so I can't take it even if I wanted to. My doctor has removed that from my prescription list. So we'll see where this ends up. For the past seven days, it's been 128. I've been eating what I would typically eat and uh, we'll have to see where that ends up. I certainly would not want to tolerate it going into the 130s or 140s, even though an average of 150 is the demarcation for type 2 diabetes. Uh, so 128 is not up to that range yet, but it's certainly higher than I like. So for my body fat percentage, I'm sitting right at 21%, and I've been there plus or minus a half a percent for a couple of months now. So that looks like it's pretty much leveled off. I have a goal of 17% body fat, but it's sitting right around 21% body fat. So I think right now I'm not really losing any more weight. And, you know, to get my body fat percentage lower, I think at this point, because I really don't see a need to lose any more weight on the scale. So at this point, I'm going to have to add muscle. And that's the only way that I'm going to get that body fat percentage down to 17%. So I'm going to have to start thinking seriously about adding back in strength training, pushing some iron, so to speak, or body weight movements, burpees and push-ups and sit-ups, pull-ups, that type of thing. Those are totally fine as well. You don't have to use physical external weights. But it does make it quicker to do it that way. But I'm going to have to do something if I really have this goal of 17% body fat and I want to make sure I hit that. For my macros, like I said, I've been you know, back to eating the way I normally eat, not at Disney. And my 
Average carbohydrate intake for this week has been 72 grams of carbohydrates each day. And on average, I've had 134 grams of protein each day. And those are perfectly fine right in my target area. For my Manjaro update, I am still on the 7.5 milligram dose. In fact, I just had some today. Did a little injection this morning. I do that once a week. And it's now my only medication for type 2 diabetes. So right now, Manjaro is the only thing that I'm adding to my lifestyle of eating and movement to keep my blood sugar under control. And like I say, seven days, the average has been 128 of glucose, which is right about the highest I'd ever want to see it get. Any higher than that, and we're back, to my mind, too high. I'm not sure my doctor agrees with that, but anyway. For my challenge and win this week, well, my challenge has been breaking from eating at Disney for nine days. I had more fast food than I normally would at Disney. Stephen had asked a question about what fast food do I eat, and I did have some burgers down there, that's for sure. did have some chicken strips down there, and normally I don't eat that type of thing like I would have normally meatloaf instead of a hamburger with a bun. I would just have the burger. Or I would have roasted chicken instead of fried chicken strips with breading. So I'm back to my normal eating. That was my challenge to immediately get back to that, and I was able to do that, so I'm going to call that one a win. Okay, let's take a look at the news. This first article here is, I'm going to say a no-brainer, but it's good to get reminded of this from time to time. It's entitled, Low-Carb Breakfast May Help Stabilize Blood Sugar in Type 2 Diabetes. So they actually did a study on this. And I guess it was a three-month study of a very small study, only 121 patients. But they fed part of the group a low-fat, normal carbohydrate level breakfast, and the other group a low-carbohydrate, a little bit higher fat breakfast. And they had between 8 and 12 recipes to choose from for each of their breakfasts. And usually the breakfast contained eggs and then maybe some kind of meat along with that. But they did find that the blood sugar levels for the type 2 diabetics with eating very low-carb breakfasts were definitely lower than those people who ate the regular higher-carbohydrate breakfasts like cereal and toast and things like that. So we might think that's a no-brainer. But it's interesting to see that, you know, they there evidently are still people who are questioning that. And But here they did a little study, again, very small study, 121 people. That's practically nothing. But anyway, also in here are some breakfast recipes you might like. So that's the first article. The next one here is entitled, These Types of Exercises Lower Risk of Type 2 Diabetes. So this is good for... Not only if you already have type 2 diabetes, but maybe you have pre-diabetes and you want to avoid ever getting type 2 diabetes at all. And they remind us here in this article that more than 1 in 10 Americans has diabetes. 
and 95% of those is type 2 diabetes. And that's really what we're concerned with here because type 2 diabetes is the one that you can actually do something about. And what they found here, and of course this was a much, much larger study, they had 59,000 people participate in this, and they found that people who performed up to an hour a day of moderate, which is like brisk walking, to vigorous, which is maybe like running or CrossFit or something like that, they had a 74% lower risk of developing type 2 diabetes compared to those people who were more sedentary. And that, you know, that's like just basically strolling or maybe not doing much of anything. So again, good article. And they'd go on here to say why exercise can help you lower your risk of developing type 2 diabetes and things like that. So check that one out and maybe that might help you with some exercise ideas. This third one here, little scientific having to do with medication, it's entitled, How Does Ozempic Work to Treat Type 2 Diabetes? So I think by now you're probably familiar with Ozempic, which is the semaglutide medication that's also an injectable, just like my Manjaro is injectable. This is a different molecule. Ozempic has the molecule called somegalotide and manjaro has terzepatide you know so two different molecules they work in two different ways but they're also similar and what they're saying here is that ozempic works by mimicking incretin and incretin is a hormone and it regulates the amount of insulin released into the blood after eating and it is glucose dependent so just because you eat something does not mean that you're going to release more insulin. It's actually eating food that contain or is converted into glucose. So the more glucose you eat, the more sugar, the more carbs, then the more insulin it will be put out into your body, which is what normally happens. It's just Ozempic helps your body do that. So that will eventually end up lowering your A1C if you continue doing that. So that's a good article explaining some of the ins and outs of how Ozempic works. I obviously didn't get into all the details, but if you're interested, just follow up and check out that article. The last one here, this is a little disconcerting. Study finds one in three adults with type 2 diabetes may have undetected cardiovascular disease. So they're saying that this increased risk of cardiovascular disease can come from hardening of the arteries. It's called atherosclerosis, thickening of the arteries. And they're saying that's a side effect of having, you know, high blood sugars, insulin resistance, and that can lead to heart disease, which I think you know, but it was surprising to me is that up to a third of the people could have this and not realize it. Because typically, hardening of the arteries is something that you don't really see signs and symptoms to. It could be maybe your blood pressure you might be able to tell, but it's pretty what they call a silent issue. And you don't really know about it until something very bad happens. But when they did a study and tested people for this, I think they use I think they use like an ultrasound to test this building up of thickening of the artery walls. And they just did it with people with type 2 diabetes and in this study, and they found that one out of three had this thickening of the arteries, which is, you know, the precursor to very severe cardiovascular disease. So that was interesting. That's uh, some good news articles for today.
All right, let's look at the main topic for today. And as I mentioned last week when I was talking all about my numbers and my doctor and oh, don't get me started on that, I said I wanted to talk about do I need to count calories or macros? Now, some people, my doctor included, thinks that you really don't need to focus on numbers. And you do hear things nowadays about intuitive eating. And the fact of the matter is, you know, 50, 70 years ago, no one even knew what a calorie or a macro was. It's a fairly recent thing. And for me, you only have to worry about this if you are in an abundant food situation, especially abundant good choices of food. If you are undernourished, you know, if you go hungry, which is very unfortunate, but it still happens. It still happens a whole lot. But if you're in that situation, I don't think you need to worry about counting calories or macros. You're trying to just get in enough food to survive. And that's how I think we were for most of our history. You know, we had to work very hard to get food to live. But that's not the case for most people anymore. Now, some people don't have good food choices available in where they live, in their neighborhood, in their area. They call that being in a food desert where maybe all you have are convenience stores and maybe fast food places where you have things to eat and it's not a problem of not getting enough calories. It's just that what you're getting is not very nutritious. But for most of us, we have not only an abundance of junk food, but abundance of regular meat and veg and fruits and things like that. So we just have a whole lot. We certainly get advertising and all that. So I think that's what's bringing about, you know, some people call it the diet craze or whatever. But to me, I think the need to count calories or macros or having maybe the privilege of counting calories or macros takes on a new meaning now in our more recent years, you know, not tens of thousands of years of our history, but the last 50 years, let's say because we have all this food available. I know I'm fortunate. I have a cupboard full of food. I'm sitting here in my dining room, so if I turn around, I can see a cupboard full of food, a large refrigerator, a freezer, all filled with food. So I don't have that problem of having to struggle to get enough. What I have is a problem of too easily getting too much. So what's the difference between counting calories or counting macros? Let's look at just plain old counting calories. Some people go by, and I personally don't, but some people go by, you know, calorie in, calorie out. You burn X number of calories. You intake X number of calories. And as long as you make them equal, you won't gain or lose weight. Well, the fact of the matter is that doesn't take hormones into account at all. That doesn't take stress hormones. That doesn't take estrogen, testosterone. That doesn't take... Insulin, none of those hormones are considered when you're just simply counting calories. And the fact is that those hormones have a tremendous effect on what your body does with what you eat, whether it burns it up quickly, whether it burns it up slowly, whether it stores it very easily, or it's difficult to store. Those things make a difference. So while you might want to count calories just to get your overall intake within a certain range. Because let's face it, if you're eating low carb for your blood sugar purposes, 
you could still overeat. So maybe you do count calories for an overall, to me I use it as a ballpark, you know, plus or minus a couple hundred calories in a given day. But to me what's more important in helping me solve my type 2 diabetes is when I look at what it is I eat. So yeah, I have to keep an eye on how much, but to me what's even more important is what I eat. 500 calories of let's say chocolate cake is not the same thing as 500 calories of chicken and vegetables. It's just not. Your body does not treat it the same at all. Your body does different things with 500 calories worth of chocolate cake. Uh, For one, it sends your blood sugar sky high. At least for me it does. But 500 calories of chicken and vegetables, that happens to be what I had for lunch today, and I didn't see my blood sugar move one bit. It was about, I don't know, 110 or so before I ate, and an hour, two hour, three hour after I ate, it was still within 10 points of 110. So it definitely does matter what you eat. And also, earlier I talked about my body fat percentage and where it is and where I want it. Well, to get muscle, to gain muscle, in addition to doing strength movements and exercise and work, you know, if I was a farmer lifting 80-pound bales of hay all day, I'd have a lot more muscle than I do now. I don't do that. I don't do much work at all. So I would have to add that work in to get more muscles. But I'd also have to make sure I was eating enough protein. And with my type 2 diabetes, I need to make sure I'm not eating too much carbohydrate. And the way I do that is by counting my macros. Now, sometimes I'm explicit in what I count, and I usually am very explicit when I'm counting carbohydrates. But as long as my protein levels are, you know, within a good range, plus or minus 15%, that's good. And I honestly don't care about my fat grams that I consume. That sort of is handled by my let's say, overall caloric ceiling, you know, the balance of what I eat is fat. So if I'm just going to give you these numbers as an example, they certainly would not apply to you. But let's say I'm eating 2,500 calories, you know, plus or minus 200 calories each day. And let's say I'm shooting for about 140 grams of protein. And let's say I'm shooting for about 80 grams of carbohydrates, which is not too far off from a typical day for me. The balance of that 2,500 calories is simply made up of fat. Now, it could be the fat that's in eggs, the fat that's in cheese, it could be the fat that's in my heavy cream, it could be the fat that's in my nice salted mixed nuts that I eat. Whatever it comes from, wherever the fat is, that's where you know the balance of those calories are made up. So, do I need to count calories or macros? Well, need is a pretty strong word. I enjoy counting my macros and I also count calories as an overall tool to help make sure I'm getting enough of what I need to get and not too much of what's not particularly helpful to me. Does that work for you? That's something you're probably going to have to figure out on your own. You know, you can talk to a nutritionist, a registered dietitian, someone who specializes in type 2 diabetes would be most helpful. Typically speaking, 
your average medical doctor really honestly did not get a whole lot of nutrition training. So I would recommend a specialist, either a nutritionist, a nutritional coach, or a registered dietitian, someone like that to help you work out whether or not maybe you might want to consider counting calories and or macros. I do both, but hey, that's just me, and I do like my numbers. All right, let's look at your questions. We do have one today. It's not a question. It's actually a recommendation. If you remember from last week, Steve asked me what fast foods that I eat. And unless I'm at Disney or something, I typically just shy away from them. However, Katie from Maryland wrote in with a recommendation for Steve. So let me read this from Katie. She starts off with, I think this is cute, hashtag not sponsored. Then she says, but Steve should check out Real Good Foods. I guess that's a brand name, Real Good Foods, in the freezer section for takeout duplicates made with chicken and cauliflower. Also, my favorite pizza option is to just eat the toppings, LOL. But I think she's serious. Papa John's actually has a Papa Bowl which is just a casserole of baked pizza toppings and cheese in sauce. Super tasty. Well, hey, thank you, Katie. I appreciate the fact that you wrote in. I think you're the second person here recently who wrote in to help someone who had written in previously. So that's great. That's a great trend. If you have a tip for someone that maybe has written in or just a tip in general that you would like to share, I would absolutely love to get it and read it on the podcast. Now, there's two ways to get it in to me. First of all, you can just send me an email. My email address is tom at solvingtype2diabetes.com. Just send me an email, right, with your regular email program. The other way you can do it is to go to the website, solvingtype2diabetes.com, and click on feedback. Just type it in right there. It'll get sent right to me, and I'll be very happy to either answer your question or share your tip. Maybe you also have a suggestion for an upcoming episode, which is great. I'm going to ask you my favor again. I asked you about 25 minutes ago. I'm going to ask you again. Could you please share this episode with someone that you really care about? Could be a friend of yours, could be a family member, but please share this episode. I'd like to get out there and help as many people as I can. Okay, so what's next? Next week, because it'll be about a month since we took away the Farsiga, I want to talk about the effects that I'm seeing. So for the past six months, I have been using both Farsiga which works through the kidneys and eliminates excess sugar in the bloodstream via the kidneys, and the Manjaro, which helps with insulin sensitivity and also decreases appetite and things like that. So I've had that combination working very well for six months, almost seven. But now my doctor has removed the Farsiga. Listen last week's episode to find out why. So I want to talk about what I'm seeing now one month in without having the Farsiga with relying strictly on the Manjaro. So that's next week's topic. 
I hope you listen to that then. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at SolvingType2Diabetes.com. There, you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. Thanks very much for listening. Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.